Today, we've brought back one of the top product development and sourcing experts in the game, Kian, to talk about things that range from micro-influencer strategies to also advanced tactics with how to use Alibaba. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And we've got back with us for the first time in a little over a year. Kian, Kian, how's it going? I'm all good. I'm all good, Bradley. Thanks very much for having me back. It's good to be back. It's nice to be speaking to you again. Hope all is well on your side. Yes, indeed, as well as it, as it can be with this crazy uh, 2020 year we've been having. So, guys, if you wanted to find out more about Kian's uh, backstory, look up episode 61. You know, Go, go to helium10.com forward slash podcast, type in episode 61, and it, and it should come up. But it, he really has an amazing story with, with who he's worked with and, and his, his origins and you know, working with Steph Curry and, and everybody else. But... You mentioned before last year, you know, you've done a lot of work in the sports world, you know, as far as licensing goes, you know, I, I remember that you talked about like the Steph Curry and, and what, what's his name? The Brazilian uh, football player, um, Neymar. Neymar, like the, the, the blankets yeah. and stuff that, that look like them and things like that. So I just want to start off really quick. How has uh, COVID this year and everything kind of affected that side of the business? Uh, I would imagine that you know, sports licensing until the last few weeks now that things are opening back up might have, you know, come to a screeching halt almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a super interesting time because like I'm supplying the NBA directly on NBA.com and also a lot of the teams directly and then also into the stadium stores. But in March, like when the NBA announced that they're suspending the, the season, like a lot of the home games now are like canceled. So a lot of the sales that we're getting in arenas, like we're now like canceled. And then like a lot of the, the, because the NBA season stopped for so long, a lot of the sales stopped on NBA.com. And then we're also supplying a lot of retailers uh, in the US, like Bed Bath & Beyond and stuff like that. And then obviously their stores are closed. So a lot of stuff we're doing directly with the NBA and other leagues, like the sales just kind of stopped. But luckily we're able to like, pivot into other areas because in working with these sort of teams and these athletes, like I know a lot of players and their managers and we do like sort of branding and promotion and products for the players directly on their social media. And then like, you know, the player's social media is always a good platform as well. So we're just able to like diversify and pivot, but it kind of affected the sports world uh, pretty big. And then now it's picking back up again. So, so it's great, but yeah, it, it was an interesting time. Interesting. Interesting. Now, you know, th things are getting back to, to, to normal, hopefully. So, so that will, you know, go back now. The other thing I remember we had a, a funny conversation about how you, you were working on a new uh, brand of product and, and I didn't know what the word was. It was like rucksack or something like that i was like oh you mean backpack okay yeah. but that one you you had just told me right right before we got in here you actually had put on pause before and you're happy you did mm -hmm. now talk to me why were you happy that you didn't release that before the covid thing like did you anticipate maybe people wouldn't be backpacking around or or, or why was that a good thing that, you, that yeah. you didn't launch so basically i put all my like superpowers into one product and it was like i wanted to build the ultimate travel backpack right so this is mm -hmm. like carry on backpack suitable for planes but it has it looks really cool and has all the travel features and i spent oh, okay. 
it is, I spent two years on it and it was like not only developing the product, but also the marketing because I wanted to massively over deliver on brand. I wanted that product to be all over the world. So I basically had content and footage with influencers in uh, Hong Kong, in Dubai, in LA, in Sydney, like literally this bag was all over the world and I shot it all over the world. And then I was launching on Kickstarter because I wanted to build my community and my audience before launching it on Amazon. So my order was going to be Kickstarter. Uh, then Indiegogo, then Shopify, and then Amazon. And I wanted to like reverse engineer it to build the brand. And geared toward also. travel, not yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I thought for some reason when I pictured it, I was like thinking it was going to be like, you know, hiking and 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 things like that. But now mm. it's making sense. Yeah, so like right. that market was hit hard, obviously, yeah. when travel shut down. So as it happens, I've got an outdoor brand as well. My family business, uh, Highlander, is all outdoor. And our sales spiked like during COVID because yeah, like, that, that's what I, that's what I was thinking. That's why I didn't make sense. I'm like, wait yeah. a minute, like didn't backpack sales kind of go up? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. So it was interesting. Like we actually hit like top twenty sellers in Amazon uh, UK, and um, that was for like our outdoor furniture chair because everyone was just sitting in their gardens. So our sales went crazy. And luckily, because we have our own warehouse and it's eighty thousand square foot, we hold on to a lot of stock. We tend to hold on stock hold on to the stock for like a year and a half because we order in bulk and then because we have so many different sales channels and then we were sitting on so much stock and then the sales just went crazy uh so we were really fortunate in that situation and um a lot of out outdoor gear like um outdoor furniture outdoor tables outdoor mm -hmm. cook sets because people can't travel so they want to just adventure out into the wild um so th that was super good but then like obviously i have a travel brand as well and then i didn't launch that uh, but I will, will be launching that next year when things go back to normal. And then the NBA and the sport licensing business was kind of put on pause. So it kind of like depends on what category you're in, but, you know, uh, we were able to diversify. Okay, so so let, let's talk a, a little bit about that. You know, that that's your experience. But uh, what about just uh, in general for other sellers who who maybe had similar things? You know, maybe they were doing neck pillows and they're like, okay, this is just gonna, going to, you know, not not do well, so I'm not going to launch this. or or something else was hit hard by COVID. Like, how do you know when it's time to like, okay, you know what? We're at a point now where it still probably is not pre-COVID, but uh, it, it's time to go ahead and launch. Like, like you, what are you waiting for now before you actually do go full full in on your on your Kickstarter and everything for your for your uh, back, travel backpack? Yeah, I mean, the good thing is, like, the market will tell you, you know, you can use a lot of the Helium 10 tools to figure out, like, what's the search volume demand in the last sort of 30 days. But I wanted to make sure that I'm developing a brand which is not dependent on, you know, search volume, but it's more like people really want this product and they want this brand. And I'm utilizing, like, first of all, mastering the product, delivering the absolute best product at the best price, and then utilizing influencers as well to be able to promote the product. And that was really, and that's what I feel like a lot of people don't really take advantage of is that like, I've got like this SOP and this Google document, which I've created, which is like, okay, for the travel industry and for the outdoor industry and for the sport industry, let's find the top 100 influencers in that space. And then within those 100 influencers, let's look at, okay, what's their, uh, how many followers do they have? How many comments do they get? How many likes do they get? Let's work out their engagement. Let's see if it's a real or a fake audience. And then after that, we say, hey, like this, this is the product that we're promoting. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Uh, can you let us know how much you would charge for a post or for a story or something like that? And it's like the beautiful thing about influencers is that they don't know how to price themselves. Like some of them massively overcharge and some of them will be like, well, I'll do it for free. Just send me a sample. And then in this document of like 100 influencers, then we sort of narrow it down to be like, okay, these 15 influencers will mm -hmm. do it for free. These 20 influencers will do it for like $5,000, but that $5,000 is worth it because of the audience that they have and, their, and the, the engagement that they have. 
and just sort of like really utilizing the influencers and what they're pricing themselves for and then using that to launch your brand because they're going to send so much traffic to your listing whether it's shopify amazon kickstarter or whatever and then you can also give them a sort of like um, a commission as well for the sales that they bring in so i don't feel like enough people are utilizing uh, influencers no matter big or small whether it's someone with five thousand followers or like two million followers so when you decided to go that road at first i'm thinking well that's just because you've got tons of celebrity friends and, and you hang out with influencers and you're just like leveraging that but but you're saying you're just searching for 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 influencers as well just as the same as any other person uh, who's not as as famous as you uh, yeah, would, yeah. would be able to do right yeah no exactly because like the the people that i know like within the sport world have got massive followings but then like you know they also require a lot they ask for like equity in your business or they ask for a decent chunk of percentage of the sales which fair enough because they have a massive audience and a really sure. loyal and engaged audience but um and also just to say that your brand is associated with those people can really skyrocket your brand as well. But there are a lot of like micro influencers with like 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 followers, which can also generate you a lot of sales. And, um, you know, just by doing your research, using hashtags, uh, being actual like a product practitioner in that space and then knowing the influencers because you follow those people and just sending a nice message to say, hey, this is a brand we're developing. I'd love for you to be a part of it. I feel like this product will really add value to you and what you're doing and to your audience and just making sure it's an organic fit. And then you can really align with a lot of the top influencers, which can like help uh, push and promote your brand. So, so you literally lined these up uh, already. You what went on Instagram and just started like searching hashtags and seeing who had what good engagement or, or good, uh, yeah, I mean, like, or relevant posts, or what was your strategy there? I mean, I'll give you an example because I kind of like hit them up for my personal Instagram to be like, hey, I source, I develop products for like the NBA, the NFL, United Nations, Olympics, all this sort of stuff. So I'm putting the idea in the back of their head that if this person, this influencer ever wanted like their own brand, that I'm the guy to work with. So I'm kind of using my leverage to say to them, ah, good, uh, good. look, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And like, for example, like for my Kickstarter video, there's a DJ called like Ben Bomer, who I love his music and he does a lot of good stuff with like Sam Calder and a lot of big like travel influencers. And then I really wanted to use his song for my Kickstarter video. So I just like DM'd him on Instagram from my personal page and I was like, hey, I love your music. I would love to get the license rights for your music to use in my Kickstarter video. If you let me use your song in my video, uh, I will give you free travel products for life for you and your friends. And he was like, sounds like a great deal, let's do it. And now he's gonna get free products and he's gonna post on his social. He's got like 50,000 followers and he's got like 2 million downloads on Spotify. He's going to be posting with the product for free and he's going to be getting free products, but I get to use his music. And it just came from an Instagram DM, you know? Hmm. Now, let's talk about that, that, that Kickstarter a little bit. Why did you choose to do that route? You know, that, that's, you know, I've heard of, of some Amazon sellers, you know, choosing to do that. What, what made you choose that route for, for this, this particular project? The main reason was to build community because I feel that like, you know, Amazon tends to own the audience and I was like, I want to own the audience and I know I'm adding a lot of value to the audience because I really feel like I'm bringing them the best travel backpack in the world at the best possible price. And I know that like travel community can be very loyal and this is like a missing product in that space. And this is something very innovative as well. So I'm thinking this is perfect for Kickstarter because there's innovation here. They're going to be the first uh, people in the market to have it on their hands. But as a result, like Kickstarter customers are very loyal to the brands that they're backing because they're like, because of my purchase, I've helped this brand start and I helped create this brand. So therefore, there are then any like future products that you then launch, you can launch it to that community that you've built rather than spending a lot of money on Facebook ads or PPC or anything like that. You've now like helped engage that audience that you helped build. And then that was my whole reasoning behind like Kickstarter. And then from there, I've gone to Indiegogo. 
and anyone who's like considering crowdfunding, like if you are thinking about Kickstarter and Indiegogo, you can't go from Indiegogo onto Kickstarter, but you can go from Kickstarter onto Indiegogo. Kickstarter have to be fun. Mm. So I wanted to use all the lessons that I learned on crowdfunding from Kickstarter to then apply to Indiegogo and then all the revenue built from Kickstarter to then spend that on ads into Indiegogo. And then you've basically got a lot of sales and a lot of, and a really big audience and then move that into Shopify and then move it onto Amazon. So Amazon actually is the, the, the last uh, stage of this yeah. launch then. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Absolutely. You know, because some people do it the opposite. You know, they start with the Amazon. They're like, "Hey, there, there's where all the traffic is," and then I'll go to Shopify, or then I'll I'll go off off Amazon. But but you're like, "Hey, let me build the audience first. Mm -hmm. Now you've got a community. You've got their email addresses. You know, you're able to you know to contact them. You you build a social media. I'm assuming you know social media yeah. following through through this through all this promotion. And then it's like when you're ready to start on Amazon, it's going to be that much easier for you." Because you just hit your audience up, you're not having to to just spend you know thousands and thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on PPC because nobody has heard of your brand. There's actually people mm -hmm. who heard of it and maybe yeah. even are searching the brand on Amazon. Exactly, and people are seeking out your brand because of the value that you've built within the community. So it's yeah, it's uh, I, that, that's why I like to do it. But look, it all starts with the product. You have to have a winning product, and I know that I've got that because the the way that I built this travel bag initially was I just wanted it for myself because backpacks are actually my favorite product to develop, and there, I felt that there wasn't a travel bag in the market which looked really cool but had all the travel features because either they have the travel features and don't look cool or they look really cool and don't have the features. So I kind of made the best of both worlds, and I just made it for myself. I made one sample. And then like a lot of my friends were like, oh, that's really cool. Where can I buy one? I was like, oh, I just made this for myself. And once I heard that enough times, I was like, well, this is actually a cool concept here. So mm -hmm. I started a brand um, called Veltra and then I decided to launch it on a Kickstarter and it was all good to go in uh, for a launch in April and then COVID hit in March. Yeah. I guess you could say that's really unfortunate because you did two years worth of work and now you can't launch it. But I kind of viewed it as a blessing because I was like, well, had I launched it pre-COVID, the, the brand would have just died because travel is just yeah. Stopped. Yeah. Uh, but now I've got all that stuff in a Google Drive, 200 gigabyte worth of like content and marketing wow. material waiting to go and a lot of influencers who are going to be behind it as well. So and then what I'm doing after this product is as well, like this is a really cool strategy as well to work with big travel influencers and say, hey, what do you like in a travel backpack? Like, what do you do when you travel? What would you like? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So some people are like, oh, well, I'm a keen like travel photographer. I was like, OK, cool. Well, let's make this compartment for, for photography equipment. And now I'm like working on individual specific items for specific influencers. And they're going to launch their own version of the product after the Kickstarter as well. So now they're going to engage their community and their community are going to purchase the product uh, from their favorite influencer from our website. So we also gain uh, their data as well and then gain their following as a customer as well okay so th this is good this is good stuff uh you, you reminded me of something right now where you were talking about you know covid and pre-covid and stuff and the i remember the last time we talked about uh when, when we had you on the podcast you talked a lot about sourcing because that's one of your 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 biggest specialties mm -hmm. um in your experience in general not not your you know not your veltra product but for for the average amazon seller out there how has the coronavirus covid changed the sourcing experience i mean number one the the most obvious is hey you can't really go to uh, canton fair and and global sources and meat suppliers in in person anymore but uh, other than that which is the obvious what else has changed or should change like like should sellers be more uh, careful about certain things because now certain kinds of schemes have popped up. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm mm -hmm. just like thinking off the top of my head. But but what should should Amazon sellers who are looking to source in China keep in mind that that's different than than last year, the last time I had you on the show. 
You're right. I mean, this is super interesting times. As you said, it's most likely sometime before we can go back to China. So I feel like the sellers, which are going to be very successful, are the ones who make the best use of Alibaba because Alibaba is kind of like the only real good, like solid platform that we have uh, for sourcing products. Like there are other websites like Made in China and 1688, which I'm not a fan of. Global Sources, which is okay. Um, but Alibaba is kind of the best platform and it's really like now who can utilize a platform in the best way. And from the sellers that I've spoken to, I've actually realized that there's actually not a lot of people who use Alibaba in the right way. And like, for example, like a lot of people just sort of search the product, type in the product that they're looking for. But what I always use Alibaba for is that like, and I use it a lot more often now because I never used to use it that much. I was always going to China and I, I lived there for an extended period of time as well. And I was spending like three or four months a year uh, in China, but now I have to use Alibaba if I'm looking for new products, which I don't have a supplier for. And it's like when you go on Alibaba, right, and you type in what you're looking for, it defaults under the search to like products. But see under the products, there's a drop down menu and you can change that product to supplier. So I always use Alibaba to find the best supplier on the platform because if you're just looking for a product or a price, like you'll get it because you'll find really low products and uh, sorry, low yeah. prices on on Alibaba, but it's going to come with like, you know, low quality. So ideally you just want to find the best suppliers. And once you find the best suppliers, then you're going to negotiate your price and all that and MOQ and things like that. So the first thing I do is type in a product that you're looking for, but select it by a product, sorry, select it by supplier rather than product. And then you filter out all the junk suppliers by using like the verified suppliers and using trade assurance. So your payment is- hold, hold, hold on, hold on. I want to do this while we're, we're, we're talking. I'm going to open it on my computer so I can I can picture this because I, I haven't done this. So I'm just mm -hmm. here on alibaba.com and let's say I want, give me something to search for. Or we'll go for like blue light blocking glasses, right? Blue light blocking glasses. Yeah, so then if you just type it in and click search, right, under products, you'll have like, I don't know, 10,000, yep. 5,000 products that appear. Now, yep, under the yep. products tab, switch products to suppliers now. Under the search? Yeah, on the search, you, you'll have products. Oh, I didn't even know. So I see products, yeah. wholesaler, and suppliers. So you're okay. saying select suppliers? Yeah, so select it, su suppliers and now click search again. And then do search again. Okay, and then now you're going to have like a lot less suppliers, right, uh, rather than products. Yeah. Ah, so so like, how's the algorithm working here? Like, like, do people have hashtags in their their bio or something? The suppliers, or or how is Alibaba well, doing this? Th this is super important because like, one supplier can list twenty products, and when you search blue light blocking glasses, you like like tens, twenty thousand listings might come up. But you just mm -hmm. want to align with the right manufacturer, not just like the a typical product. So the first thing you should do is be searching by suppliers. And then after that, now your job is to filter out all the junk suppliers and get to the real suppliers. So the first thing you should do is they have a tick box for verified suppliers. So a verified supplier is like um if they say they have 50 sewing machines in their factory that and a third party company has actually gone in and verified that there are 50 sewing machines. Or if they say they have like 200 workers in the factory, it's been verified that there are 200 workers. So for any search for suppliers, you should always click verified. And then All right, I just did that for this. It went from 681, now only 164. So that really, just that by itself narrowed it down uh, yeah, a lot. It's, 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 so there you go. And then there's another box for trade assurance. So click yep. that as well, because trade assurance protects your payment. So let's say that you want blue light blocking glasses and it should be a clear lens, but when you order the stock, you get a yellow lens. Well, because of, you have trade assurance, Alibaba will refund, refund you. Um, so that always protects your order. So if you select trade assurance as well, now you're working with the good suppliers, right? Okay. And then after that, on the left side of, of the screen, you have like a little tick box, like a little uh, checkbox section. And then under like quality, you have, I will select uh, ISO 9001, which is a quality system, and ISO 14001, which is an environmental system. And I always um, 
check BSCI, which is a business social compliance okay, index. I see those. And that's audit. I, so if you check those three boxes and then press confirm, that should narrow down the suppliers even more, right? Let's see. Now it's down to 37 suppliers. Exactly. Oh, I started with 600 something down to 100 something. Now we're down to 37. Yeah, but, but even before that 600, there was like maybe 5,000 products. And now you've now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, I forgot about that. Yep, yep. Yeah. Right. So now you've narrowed it down just to the good suppliers. And then what I do after that is I scroll down the list and I want to know what is the area, what is the city that really specializes um, in this product. So I know that for glasses, when Joe is like the most popular area for glasses. So as you scroll down that list, you should see. Yep, I see. When Joe, when Joe. This, yeah. Wenzhou that, Wenzhou this, yep. And then if there's another city, then you know that's like an outlier. That's not a city which specializes in this product. So you want to stick to the cities which do specialize in the product. And then after that, I kind of look at how many years have they been on Alibaba. And I don't yep. work with any factories on Alibaba which have been on the platform less than five years because I don't want us to work with a supplier which has just kind of come into the game because Amazon mm -hmm. has skyrocketed in the last few years and now they're trying to benefit from your sales. I want to work for a supplier which has been on Alibaba for six years, nine years, 12 years, because they've been in it for the long term and they're actually specialists. So I'm looking for Wenjo and I'm looking for suppliers which have been there like six, seven, eight years. Yep. And then after that- I see I'm, one here for 12 years. Man, that's crazy. I can't even believe that. Exactly, right? There's and then, a 12 year company. <laughs> and then from there, you just add them to your favorites and I just select like five or six to the favorites. And then in favorites, you can go uh, contact supplier and you can select all and you can write a message to all suppliers. And then further to that, like I actually click on all the, um, the pages of all these suppliers and I look at their factory address. I look at what certificates that they have. And the reason I look at their address is that like, I want to see like, are they on the 29th floor in downtown or are they in an industrial zone? that's going to tell me if they're a trading company or if they're a factory and i want to look at their certificates to make sure they're compliant with the latest standards and then i want to look at the percentage of the markets they supply because it'll tell you like do they supply north america do they supply western europe do they supply africa do they supply the domestic market and i want the percentage to be more into north america and western europe because they're more the standards of the markets that i want to hit so like in really like 20 seconds and by checking the right boxes and moving from products to suppliers, you've now identified what the top 30 factories for that product. And yeah. for me, like that's just the way that like I work with factories and that's the information I want to know. But I feel that like a lot of sellers, they just type in the product that they're looking for. And then they've got like 5,000 listings to go through and they don't know where to start because the problem is when you type in the product and then just search by product, well, you're now dealing with the factories which have paid to be at the top of the listing. Because uh, Alibaba is where like Amazon, where it's like a pay-to-play pla platform. And the ones that appear at the top are the ones who have paid Alibaba the most amount of money to be sponsored to pay the top, to be at the top. Yeah. But you don't necessarily want to work with a factory who's paid money to advertise their services because that means that their production line isn't full and they have to pay yeah. in order to find business. But the real factories and the good factories never advertise because they're so good at what they do that their production lines are always full. So that's, and then by switching the search to suppliers, you've now found the best factories. And then I just engage on conversation uh, from there. So it's, um, that's just a quick hack that I do. But in terms of like your original question of like, you know, COVID, I was like, well, now we have to use Alibaba and we have to use Alibaba properly. And that's just like one of the methods I use uh, to do that. Okay. That's, that's good to know. You know, like, yeah, before you all, know, of course you could always just use Alibaba no matter what state the world is in but but now it's it's almost like that's your only choice you know there's a there's a good you know portion of people that that you yourself would go on your sourcing trips and and everybody doing sourcing trips you know these uh or or last year it, it seemed but that has come to a, a screeching a screeching halt obviously now one thing i want to talk about you just submitted a blog 
you you write some blogs here on Helium 10. So guys, uh, make sure to, to type uh, go to helium10.com forward slash blog. You can type in Kian's name and, and see the blogs he's written. But you know, in the past, I personally use sourcing agent for some things, and I had a good experience. But then there's people who've had bad experiences, and I kind of want to talk about that uh, mm -hmm. instead, like where uh, people can go wrong now. Just because, oh, Bradley uses a sourcing agent and has good experience, that doesn't mean that's the the situation across the board. There's good factories, there's bad factories. There's good sourcing agents, and there's possibly more bad sourcing agents. So so how can somebody determine that? Like me personally, the way I found mine was just from, because somebody, you know, a, a, a trusted colleague mm -hmm. uh, used her and, you know, for a long time and had nothing but good experiences. So like I had no doubt there, but not everybody, especially newer sellers out there, who aren't in the Amazon community like the rest of us and and we haven't networked and, and things in Facebook groups with people for over a year and stuff like we don't have that those kind of connections where we can get that kind of referral. So how how would somebody know if somebody's a good or bad sourcing agent? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I feel that like, you know, the quality of your result your results in China are determined by like the quality of like your agent if you are using a sourcing agent. So in order to align with the right sourcing agent, I feel that there's like seven really key questions that you have to ask your sourcing agent to know if they're the right person to work with. And that's like first of all, are you a one man show or are you a company? Because like if you're a one man show, this is like not so good because like if your agent goes on holiday or like if they like lose interest or if they get hit by a bus whatever you don't know like where your products are being made but if you're actually working with a company then like someone will step in if your agent goes missing and it's so so important to know like where your products are being made and know who your factory is and one of the key things is that like sourcing agents don't normally like to disclose the factory and the factory information because they're scared that okay if you find out the factory information you're going to go direct and cut them out whereas that's not really the case because like factories really respect the person who's brought them the order. So like if a sourcing agent brought the order, they will honor that. But it's very, very important for you as a seller to have a direct line of communication with your factory, to know where your goods are being produced, to know if there's a delay that you can pick up the phone, to know that if like the, the price has gone up, you can negotiate that and you can discuss that. And I feel that the best sourcing agents are the ones who allow you a direct line of communication with your factory. And then as well as that, like you want to know like how many years do they have been a sourcing agent? And that's, this kind of ties back into the Alibaba search as well, that I would only work for factories which have been on Alibaba for more than five years. The same way if you're working with a sourcing agent, you shouldn't work for a sourcing agent who's only been in business for one or two years because they've kind of just jumped in to sort of benefit from the Amazon sellers. You want to work with sourcing agents who've been doing this for a long time and who are experienced. And then also you want to ask the sourcing agent straight up before you get into any business are you going to give me a direct line of communication with the factory? And if they say no, you should not be doing business with them because you do not know where your goods are being made. And then uh, further to that, you want to know like, all right, as a sourcing agent, what category of product do you really specialize in? Because you could be sourcing like anything. It could be baby products. It could be medical products. It could be electronic products. And a sourcing agent can go and find factories and stuff like that. But you really want to work with a sourcing agent who is a specialist in what they do and who are able to like maybe take your samples and say, okay, the quality of this one's good and the quality of this one is not good. Or if you're doing this iPhone charger, it has to pass to this standard for the US market. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And you want to be able to like leverage their experience because sourcing agents have been, you know, working with Chinese factories for a long time and you want to benefit from their knowledge. So you really want to know what category do they specialize in. And then the really important thing is you want to know, as a sourcing agent, like, how do you get paid? Like, is it upfront consultancy fee or is it a commission on the order? And depending on you and your business and how big you think you'll grow it, you might be better off just paying them a one-off fee for the source and then for introducing you to the factory. 
or you might want to just you know take let the sourcing agent take a five percent commission on the order value. But if you're like a ten million dollar seller, then you don't want to do that. You'd rather just pay like a one upfront uh, uh, payment. And then in a, in addition to that, you want to know what is the scope of their work, what is involved in their offering. Because some agents are just purely sourcing. Some will mm-hmm. offer inspection. Some will offer like shipping and logistics. Some will offer like you know quality control. So you want to you want to know like what am I paying for here? Like what are you actually offering me for the money that I'm giving you? And then finally, you just kind of want to know, like, all right, as a sourcing agent, what is your process for vetting the factories? Like, if they're just using Alibaba, then I might as well do this myself. Uh, but yeah. if, do you have a good network of factories? Do you have good relationships with factories? Are you going to introduce me to factories which are not on Alibaba? Do you attend all the canton fairs? Do you go to European trade shows? Like, how do you find your factories? And those are the kind of the top seven questions that I would like to ask before working with a sourcing agent. Okay, that's good. If you guys want to find out more, definitely look up that blog. But those are all important. And just my, you know, my personal advice again, I, I'm not an expert like like Keen is in, in sourcing and things. Is that I would never have just tried to find my own sourcing agent. Just just like, hey, let me Google sourcing agent, or or wow, somebody slid into my DMs here on <laughs> on Facebook and says they can source, so they they must be reputable. No, like the only reason I went with my sourcing agent is because they came from a a trusted source. So that's just my personal thing. Is like. Don't go with somebody that you do not have a personal, you know, like you personally know somebody who has been using them. Not like, oh, I heard from my my sister's roommate that this person might be good at sourcing. Ah, uh, this is too important, guys, for for you just to you know throw it to chance like that. And and, and that's, that's a great point. So like, I I would kind of like ask to your community first if you have a mastermind group or a post on Facebook, like who has a good sourcing agent that they can recommend? Because you always want to go off like referrals first of someone who's had yeah. good experience. And then if you do get some sort of like contact, um, like cold calling you or whatever, always ask them for references. Just to say, hey, can you give me some references of other uh, customers that you've supplied? And if they're not willing to give you references, then it's probably not a good sourcing agent. And if they do give you references, then just hit them up and be like, hey, what was your experience? Here, were they good, were they bad? And then if they're a good one, then then just start to work with them. Excellent, excellent. Now, one thing that you know obviously is on a lot of sellers' minds. It started with you know when the coronavirus first started, and now it's again happening uh, here for Q4. Is these inventory restrictions? Obviously, you know, like hey, you during one period of time, hey, you you, you can only send this much of units in, uh, and now that that's happening again. So a lot of people you know, are having to use three PLs when they haven't, because in the past, you know, if their MOQ was, was 1000, 2500, no problem. Just send it all to Amazon. But for new products, you can't do that anymore. So I think what's on a lot of sellers minds nowadays is, is first of all, if they really just at all costs want to avoid, you know, having to do too much storage at a three PL is I want to lower my MOQ, you know, is what, is what they want to do. You know, maybe to 200 would be perfect, but if not, at least if it used to be 1000, like I, I want to put it at least at 500. So I'm only having to store a little bit, you know, at my warehouse. Like well, what tips can you give as far as how you can negotiate with suppliers to, to try and get that MOQ down? Because, you know, I think sometimes sellers just assume that whatever the factory says is set in stone and like, there's no negotiation room there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great question. And like, you know, I, I feel that like not enough sellers like actually utilize the strengths of their factories. So like a lot of the factories where they're making these goods is they actually have like a lot of storage space as well. So like 
normally when I give a, an order to a factory, I kind of give them a forecast order to say, hey, this is how many units I think I'm going to be producing over the next like year. And like, I only need this month, this much for like January and this much for February. So just ship it as I need it. But if you can hold it in stock, then great. So like you can actually utilize your factory storage. So you're not paying storage here in the US or, or UK, wherever you're from. But you actually use the storage in their warehouse for free. And then they just ship it when they when you need it. So it actually like brings down uh, your lead times as well because the goods are ready. But for like a new seller, like, okay, if you want to trial a new item and you're like, okay, I only want to do like normally the MOQ is like, 1500 or 2000 pieces i only want like 500 so what i like to do is like first of all show your power show your strength show your leverage make the supplier want to work with you so that you lower that moq so you want to be saying things like hey we want to work with you for the long term we want to work with you in partnership however the first order we place is always a trial order and the trial order is used to make sure that you ship on time that you deliver on time to make sure that like everything goes smooth that the packaging is fine the outer cartons don't smash and then if everything goes smooth then we'll increase our order for the next it will increase our quantity for the next order so you're kind of dangling that carrot in front of them to say like hey if everything goes smooth here the next order will be a bigger one but then the other things you can do is as well is that like really uh, ask the factory what materials are you holding in stock because quite often you might say okay i want like panton number 1073 but if you actually say like, hey, actually, what red colors are you holding in stock? And factories have got so many different materials in stock and mm. actually even more so than you would imagine because of COVID. Because remember, the coronavirus hit China before it hit the rest of the world. Yep. Well, a lot of people thought it would just be contained within China. So a lot of people from around the world started rushing to place orders and then the virus hit the rest of the world and then they canceled all those orders. So a lot of Chinese factories are actually holding on to stock of raw materials and also finished products as well. So if you want to bring that MOQ down before like actually like customizing your product, just say, hey, what materials are you holding in stock? What fabrics are you holding in stock? What materials are you holding in stock? And then you're a lot more likely to get 300 or 500 of something that they're holding in stock rather than something that's uh, custom. Um, and then the other thing you can do is always like show your seriousness by like, let's say if you only want, only want to order 500, actually draft that PO for 500 pieces and send it to them to be like, hey, if you can accept this, here's the PO. And then they're like, okay, cool. Well, they're serious. The PO's there. Let, let, let's just do it. So, um, and then the other thing is you can also utilize Alibaba as well. So like on Alibaba, on that search, when you go by suppliers on the left side, it also tells you the number of workers in the factory, right? And you've okay. got like zero to 50, 50 to 100, 100 to 500, 500 to 1,000, and like 2,000 plus, right? And if, you, if you're wanting a low MOQ, you're much more likely to get it from a factory which has got less number of workers because they're a lot more like open or a lot more flexible. They'll let you try more colors. Like it's just, they're like, they're quite small as well. So they want to bend over to sort of like, you know, do you favors. But if you're a big factory, if you're 2000 workers, you're very, very strict on your systems and you've got a lot of processes mm. in place and five, they're just not interested in 500 yeah, pieces. Yeah. So 10, maybe just go for the um, items, which uh, the factories, which got like less, um, less workers. And then finally as well, we can't do it right now, but like visiting China to show that you're a serious buyer because the Chinese factories really, value and honor the people who actually go to china because they're like well you're serious about doing business here because you're actually here and you've actually come to our place of business now obviously during the virus and the pandemic situation we can't actually visit china but if you have been before share photographs of your last china trip and when you're emailing them on alibaba or just emailing them directly say oh hey this is some pictures of here me when i was in the last factory when i was at the last canton fair and they're like okay this is a buyer that really visits china so they're a serious buyer so let's just give them a small moq so that the next order will be bigger because they're obviously a serious buyer so those are just a few things you can do to like lower the moq but it's, it's super super important okay that's that's very helpful now the last thing i wanted to talk about in general that i, I know you have uh, expertise on 
is, but it's something that that comes up a lot is is when people people are first ordering their products. They maybe they don't have a sourcing agent. They're they're fresh. They're they're starting off on Alibaba. Maybe using some of these you know techniques that you've talked about. One of the most important things before choosing the factory, in my opinion, is is this you know getting samples. So mm -hmm. I, I'm just curious, what do you suggest? Like you start off with this search that like like we just did for the blue light blocking glasses, you know, yeah. and, and I narrowed it down to like you know twenty or something. But like how many factories should somebody get samples from, and what are some tips that you can give as far as you know, because that can get expensive. Like if each of these factories is charging me for the sample and for shipping, mm -hmm. I mean, like I, I could be five, $600 into my project before I even, and I might not even have a factory of winning factories. So like, how can I save on, on this process? What are some things to avoid? Uh, talk, just talk about the, the sample process a little bit. Sure. That's super important question as well. I'm glad you asked. So like for me personally, right, I'm kind of looking at like when we did an Alibaba search, I want to find like my top 10 suppliers that I think, okay, these guys are good. Right. And I'll inquire to all 10. And then from that 10, I want to break that down into three in terms of three that I want to get samples from. And that'll depend on the price of the product and also like the whoever else they supply and then the certificates and the testing that they have and they're in the location I want. And I'm just really going to pick three suppliers, right? And I'm going to get samples from those three. But as you said, it's very expensive to organize samples from three different suppliers to the US. So the way you can save a lot of costs is by bundling your samples. And like, luckily for me, I've got an office in China. So I send all my samples to my office. They bundle it as one package and then send it to me. But if you don't have an office in China, well, if you work with an inspection company, just email your inspector who might be in Shenzhen or wherever and just be like, hey, look, I've got these like samples coming and I've got this order coming, which you're going to be inspecting. So I'd be grateful if I could just send the samples to you. You could put it into one box and I'll arrange the pickup. So obviously they're not even paying for it either. They're just going to receive the samples. They're going to box it into one and then you're going to send a courier to pick it up. So that's like one way of like saving the cost of arranging one air freight rather than three. And then after that, like, it's so, so important. I don't think this is like talked about enough that I kind of go through like three sample stages. You've got your, your development sample, your pre-production sample, and your pre-shipment sample. Now your development sample is that first sample that you receive. You're like, I have this idea for a product. I want to see like some changes on it. Um, and I'm going to write my suggestions on Alibaba and then you're going to send me that sample, right? And then you're like, okay, cool. This was great. I just want to like for the blue light blocking glasses, I want to like add my logo on the side. I want to make sure the lens is maybe 45 millimeters instead of 50. And then you say your changes, you add your logo, and then they send you your pre-production sample. And your pre-production sample is like, okay, great. This is what I want to order. I've used it. I've tested it. This is great. Based on the sample, I want to give you a deposit. I want you to go into production. And then they're like, okay, great. Production starts, pay the deposit. And then when the production finishes, I want you to send me a pre-shipment sample. And a pre-shipment sample is an accurate sample taken from the production and then you compare your pre-production sample and your pre-shipment sample side by side. And they should be exactly the same because this is a sample which I confirmed for you to go into production. And this is a sample which I actually received from the production. And then if there's any discrepancy, if there's anything wrong, if there's anything changed, then you fix it at the source before you actually ship it. But you have to log those samples um, as well in, in your own warehouse because like, as you start to do multiple orders, you want to make sure that like, you don't have a quality fade. Because I know some people for whatever product, okay, let's say if it's like a, a, a sneaker, they might use like a lesser rubber content on order number five or order number 10 than they did on the first order to make a little bit more money. But if you hold all the samples in your own office, well, then great. So you can actually compare the sample from your first order, from your third order, from your 10th order, and there shouldn't be any like quality fade. So 
in terms of a new seller or ordering a new product, you should get your development sample first, then your pre-production sample, then your pre-shipment sample. You should label all those samples and you should store it in your office, in your home, in your warehouse, wherever. And then for every single order that you do, you go through this process. And then once the order is confirmed, then next time you only need the pre-production and the pre-shipment sample. But I actually made like a, a YouTube video just on samples and I showed my warehouse in the UK and I showed a back landing. I had 50 cupboards just full of samples. Um, and I actually have like a sample log as well, which I have like the date, the factory, everything. And like, I've got a sample spreadsheet, which is like just thousands of products in there. So like, as you have, I, I always feel that like the, the, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So you have to start with the end in mind yeah. in terms of like, I want to build a big company. So I'm going to start this checklist right now because two years from now, I'm going to be having gone through like 300 samples. So I better just start this process now. So if this is your first order, and you need to do photography in order to, you know, create the listing. Mm -hmm. uh, what I've been doing, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I like waiting for the pre-shipment sample. Like, I don't want to base my photography on that early sample because, you know, it might not be production quality, but that pre-shipment uh, kind of assures that this is exactly the product that I'm going to get. Is, is that what uh, you would suggest doing as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because as you said, the pre-shipment sample is going to be an accurate representation of the stock. Okay. And it also gives you enough time because if you're getting that pre-shipment sample before it ships, well, depending on where you're shipping to, whether it's East Coast or West Coast, you still have like another like two, three weeks before you actually receive the stock. So that's enough time to, to do your imagery. All right. You've been giving us uh, some great tips and strategies here. So we're at the part of the show we call the tss, or the TST 30-second tip. So what is something that you can say in like uh, 30 seconds or less that's highly valuable, highly actionable? something that our listeners can implement right away. Okay, sure. So my is, um, I always stress the importance of building your relationship with your manufacturer, right? Because your, your relationship is going to give you better terms, better credit, better prices, better products, all that sort of stuff. But right now we're not really in a position to go to China, but I'm sure a lot of you have heard of the app called WeChat, right? So I would say right now, if you don't have WeChat, download the app WeChat, add your manufacturer there. And, you know, you keep all the important terms of the order in terms of like your price and your delivery date, all that sort of stuff should be on email. But your informal conversation of like, hey, this is when me and my buddies went out drinking this weekend or, hey, this is my kid's birthday. Here's some photos from what I did this weekend. You want to send those pictures to your supplier in WeChat. You want to build that personal relationship because you want to get very, very close. You want to build that relationship. But it's very hard to do that with not being able to go to China. But using the WeChat app, you can now build that relationship. So if you have the app, Definitely engage more often, at least like once a week, call your supplier, check that they're okay, send them photos uh, and just do all of that using WeChat and watch how you get better service, better terms, all that sort of stuff, just by uh, building that communication. That's a good point. You know, you know, I, I just thought of something. I, I did that with my sourcing agent. And, and what I did one night was I, I put her like on a WeChat FaceTime with my, my daughter who actually took Chinese in college. And is, you know, as a American person, it's, it's obviously weird that an American person, you know, would just take the time to, to learn Chinese. And I had her speak Chinese to, to the sourcing agent and like, she was just blown away. She's like, oh my goodness. You know, that was just like the most amazing thing ever. And like a month later, I get, I got a, a, a shipment of like the most expensive Chinese tea, like, like fancy boxes and, and everything. This, this probably costs like hundred, $150, you know, like super fancy stuff, mm -hmm. but yeah, like that, 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 I didn't even think about that, but it, it probably came from that conversation where she was like so touched that, you know, like that of that personal nature that, and then, and then actually I'm I'm looking at my WeChat. Oh, hold on, let me let me pull it up right now. 
literally looking at my WeChat right now, and and I was trying to get this other sample for a new case study I wanted to start, <laughs> and she was saying, hey, um, I I just paid for this sample myself, eighty dollars, uh, and they'll get that sample to you. Now, of course, you know I've been working with her for a while, but you know, eighty dollars isn't isn't nothing, you know, for, yeah. but but. Yeah, you know what? Since I made the relationship a little bit more personal, I have noticed some. some um, at the end of the day, like people buy from people. It doesn't matter if you're selling to a consumer online or if you're buying from China. Like you want to build that like interaction, that relationship as much as possible. And this is just the best way to do it in that time where we're not able to go to China. And you'll find that like suppliers are actually really amazing people. They're so nice. They want to engage with people all around the world. They want to learn about different cultures and they're so hospitable. They're so welcoming. And it's just like, as soon as you get talking to them a little bit, you realize like how nice they are. And WeChat is kind of yeah. the way to do that at the moment. Okay. This is great. Great, great tips uh, throughout this episode and especially that one as well. So Kian, uh, thank you so much next year. After the Clippers win the championship or getting close to their second championship, we will we'll definitely have you back. And, and I'd love to talk about, hopefully, by then, things have normalized so that you were able to, to launch your two-year project. You know, I know you've been working on this for a long time. And I'd love to catch up with you and, and see to see where you're at then. All right, and Keen, uh, I know people might have some more questions, be it about sourcing, be it about Alibaba, be it about any of your expertises. How can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually just started a YouTube channel about three months ago. So that was kind of my hobby during lockdown. And I use that YouTube channel to basically educate people as much as possible in terms of the sourcing process, whether it be about MOQ, sourcing agents, Alibaba, price negotiation, all that sort of stuff. So that channel is just called Sourcing with Kian. And I also have a Facebook group also called Sourcing with Kian, where I have a great community and people just kind of ask questions about sourcing. They just upload pictures like, hey, I've got this problem. Like, how do I fix it? And either I jump in or the community jumps in. So Facebook and YouTube is just called Sourcing with Kian and uh, if you're a lot more social I'm on Instagram as well which is Kian underscore JG and if I'm ever at like an NBA game or an NBA finals uh, it's bet that we've got going on or if I'm in a Chinese factory I'll always upload a lot of stuff to stories so if you're on Instagram say hi I'm Kian underscore JG all right thanks a lot Kian see you later absolute pleasure thanks Bradley